Welcome to Creation Conversations with Joe Hubbard and John Mackay. Join us each week as we answer your questions and common objections to the Bible, creation, and Noah's flood. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are, folks. I've just realised that my camera has completely disappeared, so hopefully you can all still hear me all right while I try and fix this. Um, welcome to our uh, Halloween special, um, but <laughs> do bear with me. It always goes wrong at the last minute, doesn't it? Uh, let's try that. Um, it's a good start, Joseph, with blackness. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yay. We have, we have light. Lovely. Um, yeah, good. You can all see me. That's good turn that camera slightly uh, i also noticed that my internet's sort of slightly going so hopefully it'll sort itself out at some point but we all love technology um anyway welcome to creation conversation to our halloween special as we're delving a little bit into the history of halloween and a little bit into sort of where did the idea come from what connection has it got to christianity and uh, also sort of that spiritual side of things which often has a lot of misconceptions about it you know demons and spirits and ghosts and uh, where this whole idea all sort of come from so uh, we're joined today by uh, of course john who's uh, who's usually with us but also with uh, our special guest dr diane eager who's uh, uh, been a great friend of the show and is uh, is no stranger to coming on board so it's good to see both of you how are we all doing well thank well, you <laughs> Good, good, great stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, what, what's what's the weather like over you in Australia at the moment? Because it's been pretty wet well, here in the UK. What was that, sorry? Well, it's it's uh, well, you have to realise it's morning here in the eastern well, seaboard yes. of Australia, yeah, yeah, of so it's bright and sunny, and I can look out the window and and see bright blue sky. Uh, it's a bit windy, um, but it's not cold. It's just cool. Yeah, I'm further up the coast, a thousand kilometres or so, and uh, it, it's sort of starting to be a dry day after some beautiful rain we've had, but more on that a bit later. Mm. Good stuff. Great stuff. All right. Well, uh, let, let's uh, dive straight into it. But, but before we sort of move on, let's do what we always do, which is sort of give a bit of a ministry update uh, and just kind of let people know what's been going on, uh, a little bit of some of the some of the exciting stuff that's been sort of happening. So, John, do you want to start with uh, what's been going on in the world of creation research in mm. Australia at the moment? OK, some good news, because we've actually mentioned it on this program that we have been in drought, particularly with our museum at Jurassic Ark. So instead of being negative and complaining, or instead of just praying about it, we took positive action because we believe firmly everything, including the drought, the weather is controlled by the God who created, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Amen. we've taken advantage of the drought and we've doubled the size of our dam, which was empty just about for all practical purposes, except for that much water and the foot valve of the pump uh, was floating. It just, it, there wasn't any water to take. There was a bit of mud if you wanted to. And mm. so we encouraged everyone yeah. after we'd finished to pray. And I mean, Joseph has preached on this, so have I. There's a, a statement in Second Kings chapter three where the Israelites had actually gone around the mountains behind the, the, the enemy uh, through the desert to try and attack them and they ran out of water, no fall planning. There was no water for their animals to drink, their horses, etc. And so finally you see the prophet comes and he says, okay, don't worry about this. Just dig ditches, 
and you won't hear any rain, you won't hear any thunder, but tomorrow morning, the whole valley, the ditches will be full of water. Okay, so what happened this week? Monday night, the dam is bone dry. Tuesday night, the dam is full, and we didn't hear any, any rain because we weren't there, but it was wonderful. In one night, we have acres of water, and it's just fantastic. So that's that's been the first blessing. The second blessing is we've had three days of ministry at Jurassic Ark. Day one, a school. Day two, a senior citizens group. Day three, just a dig. Oh, the good news is every one of those went well. And yesterday, when we were free from students and free from visitors, we found some wonderful new fossils. And even better, one of the volunteers said, can I bring my men's group up here? And can we have a camp? Uh, you know, sort of Friday night, a Saturday yeah. dig and learn, and Sunday morning a service. And I said, great idea. Let's organize it. So that's sort of an update here. Uh, Diane, you've been busy working on a, a couple of ideas about Backyard Bible, I believe. Yes, yes. We thought that um, we should just look around at the environment that we live in and uh, see uh, God's handiwork in, in even very small and uh, apparently ordinary things. And I was out in my garden and I have lavender at the front of the house and the bees were having a wonderful time. So we thought we could write about things like that. And I go for walks um, uh, along the back where there are gum trees and down to the lake where there are black swans. Um, and uh, I've uh, been up to John's place on his property, of course, and there are lots of uh, plants and trees and birds. And so we thought we'd just uh, look at the things that are in our in our own local environment and see the evidence of God's handiwork there. And we thought, yes, we'd call that backyard Bible. In other words, where we live, God's handiwork in the in the small things, as well as the big things that we talk about, like worldwide yeah. floods and um, smashed logs and things like that. So For God's sure, handiwork yeah, like in open, things and small our, things. Our coming book called Backyard Bible. It'll Bible. be probably yes. 12 months. Mm, but yes. be a great devotion on all the things that anyone can access in the backyard from the grass to the tops of the trees. Joseph? And uh, I, I, if you correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that there's a, a new book coming out shortly, if it's not already out, sort of a, a Christmas yes, theme. Yes, it certainly is. The artwork mm. is just about finished. You know, the one we did with uh, What Happened to the Dinosaurs, which has oh, been yeah, incredibly yeah. popular because it's got the um, uh, you know animation stuff in you can access yeah, yeah. Through, your, through your apps. Well, this one is all about the star of Bethlehem because a young man, a teenager who's living in, in, um, in Nazareth, he's, he grows up on a farm. And in those days, and some, some people still do, they plant their crops according to the stars. So he grew up knowing how many stars there were, which, which constellations you watch. But one day he saw a new star and he and his sister set out to find out what this star means it was a puzzle you will enjoy this coming out we're planning mm. on having it for christmas here in australia and uh, we're really on target so mm. that's great it's that's good stuff yeah, yeah it may not be in the uk or, or america uh, by christmas but uh, certainly for next year we'll have to try and uh, yeah. see if we can get some copies over here or print it over here or see what we do with uh, uh, had, a, had a great time well i'm just going to give a very a, a very brief sort of ministry update mm. and then i'm going to um 
give us a Bible verse before we really dive into the uh, into the topic this evening. Um, it's been pretty busy over here. There's some, uh, God willing, some big announcements that we can make very shortly. Uh, one of them has to do with the fact that we're going down to London um, to tomorrow, actually, tomorrow afternoon. Uh, tomorrow, sort of early afternoon, we're actually doing, uh, let's see if I've got a graphic here. Oh, by the way, uh, for all of our regular viewers, Sam is not with us tonight. Uh, he wasn't able to quite make it. He's absolutely fine. It's just he's had a very very long day and we only just caught the tail end of him trying to catch the bus home earlier so um he's not with us tonight he's not looking after the chat that'll be my job of course i'm also presenting and talking and everything and being involved in this so i'll do my best to keep up with the chat but as always stick to the normal rules if you have a question stick q and then your question and that'll really, really help us because that helps me to be able to see it quickly. We will be doing questions and answers later. So uh, stick a, a questions in as we go. And uh, any comments, any things like that, just, just, just go for it. Remember to like and subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, but particularly like this video and share it around. Uh, we will be very, very grateful for that. Uh, this is what I'm doing tomorrow, sort of early afternoon. Um, it's Answers in Genesis in the UK, at least, their biggest conference. They sort of hold it every uh, 18 months to two years. Uh, it was usually in person, of course. It's not able to be in person because of the COVID stuff and the sort of backlog from there. Uh, so they decided to hold it uh, 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 online. But uh, I'm one of the uh, speakers there. I'll be speaking tomorrow on The Rocks Cry Out, Evidence for a Worldwide Flood. So you can still get the tickets if you haven't already. It doesn't cost very much uh, to join. And once, of course, you've joined, you've got a record of all of the parts that's been going on for the last two days. So you can go back and uh, watch uh, on record, if you like, um, all of the speakers, including Ken Ham, and uh, we've got a load of speakers from the UK as well, and um, from different backgrounds, not just myself. So a great session um, tomorrow, so do join us for that if you can. But then tomorrow afternoon, we're travelling down to London, because I'm preaching there on uh, on Sunday in a church we've preached here many times before. But also going on at the moment, down in the UK, is the whole climate stuff i mean it's happening in london and it's happening in glasgow we've got cop 26 coming up in a, in a week or so which is the big climate summit world leaders are flying in as we speak and being transported up to glasgow and extinction rebellion and insulate britain which are sort of a, a branch off of extinction rebellion are having a, a field day with it all and they're blocking the m25 which is our major motorway biggest motorway in the country uh, which goes around um goes around the uh, uh, London itself, uh, they're blocking whole streets, they're holding massive protests, so we're going to go down, see if we can speak to some of these protesters, and we want to specifically see how much science do they actually know, how much do they actually know what they're protesting about, what is their knowledge like of the history of climate, and of course if anybody has watched any of our programs on climate change, we've produced more programs about climate than any other subject really including our latest documentary here uh, Fire and Ice which you can get as a DVD all over the world and you can get as uh, a stream as well you'll know a lot about the science and the history mm. and the background to this whole climate thing but what we want to do in this sort of little documentary, extra documentary for the first time we want to actually look at the political side and kind of tie it in with scripture uh, and see how that's all panning out based on what these protesters 
are actually doing and what these political leaders are doing. So that promises to be a really, really interesting project. Stay tuned for that. But we've got lots of uh, big announcements, Lord willing, in the next few weeks, which we'll let you know about. I'm all over the place doing different stuff. We've got some new and interesting things for our museum collection, by the way. Um, here's a, a wonderful Middle Eastern. We're thinking it's probably most likely Assyrian. Um, it's from a good friend of mine, and I've got a, a great friend who does some great work for galleries all over the world who's researching this for me um basically for nothing which is a, a huge huge blessing um you can see this wonderful bit of a statue um let's see if i if i get it in front of my face it should be in focus we're pretty sure it's part of an assyrian uh of course we have lots of biblical artifacts in our museum collection so this is a a really wonderful addition especially if you can find out which face it belonged to it's certainly a king because he has a little crown on the top so it'd be great to know which one so you can praise the Lord for wonderful new blessings that come in almost every day now and people who have donated stuff or people who are involved in this project uh, or deceased people who've passed their collections on uh, and have gone through various channels to us. So praise the Lord for that. But do keep the museum project in prayer. There's still a lot of work that needs uh, doing. We've been talking about it together tonight and praying about it together tonight. So do keep that in prayer. It's uh, uh, a few issues which have cropped up. We do pray that you would continue to uh, uh, that the Lord would continue to guide us and give us wisdom, um, because we've got an incredible collection which is ready to go on display. So get behind the project now, and uh, we would really, really appreciate that. So there's a little bit of a, a ministry update. What I've been doing. What I'm going to be doing uh, pretty busy stuff um, i'm going to start with a couple of bible verses actually and then i'm going to hand over to john because we're you know we're talking about the spiritual side of things tonight oh we're going to deal with the historical first of all um diane's going to deal with that mostly uh, uh the three of us really we're going to talk about where did this come from this whole celebration of halloween um and sort of you know how did it get to the festival it is today, particularly in the States where it is enormous. But we're also going to be dealing with the controversial, often misunderstood kind of spiritual side of things. Demons, ghost, Satan. How much power do these things have today? So we're going to start with a little Bible verse here uh, from 2 Corinthians. And um, it's uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and it says here is 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 it's talking about Paul is talking about good versus evil and making sure that you don't have good and evil mixing in a church background it says do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what part uh, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light within darkness and some other translations say how can light and darkness actually go together um interesting little bible verse and you can kind of see where he's uh, referring to in john chapter one uh, the gospel according to john chapter one of course famous uh, session in the beginning was the word and the word was with god uh, he was in the beginning with god all things were made through the word who is of course jesus christ and then down it says and in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. So there is definitely this uh, contrast in scripture between the light and the dark. I mean, obviously, the first ever reference to this is in the creation week itself. In the beginning, there was nothing, and God said, let there be light, and the light cut through the darkness, and there was light. Um, that's a, a physical splitting of the light and the darkness. But you see it through the rest of scripture, also used in the context of good and evil. 
and how light and darkness just simply cannot mix. And a warning that Paul is giving to the church is do not mix with unbelievers, do not mix with those who practice lawlessness, do not mix with those who find their comfort in the darkness, for you are born of light, the light which is the life of men, who is the word, who is Jesus Christ, who is also the creator of all things. So you can start to see how this all kind of joins together, right? Um, so some interesting scripture verses to consider as we begin to move forward into our investigations into Halloween, the celebrations, and the spiritual side of things. But John, I'm going to hand over to you now, uh, and to Diane, actually, although I'm sure I'll chip in as we go. Um, where did this whole celebration kind of come from? What's the history that we're looking at here? Okay, with a name like Mackay, I'm eminently qualified uh, because the Scots can take almost the total blame for what you call the modern Halloween, and of course it's ancestral roots um so if you think of my own history my dad was an atheist although brought up in strict presbyterian scotland but when i talked to him as a kid uh, we always celebrated new year big time i mean we'd get together the uncles and the, the fathers would spend their time drinking and regaling each other with stories and we kids got to stay up and see gun smoke you know, the last program before they um, played on our television out here, God Save the Queen and said goodnight. Television switched off at midnight uh, in those days. So that tells you how old I'm getting. But when I asked Dad what was it like in Scotland, he said, well, New Year was actually far more important than Christmas. Now, the New Year's Day is sort of almost the middle of the darkness over there. And then moving back towards the the, the coming of light eventually. So it actually had spiritual pagan significance. Okay, and the other thing, of course, was that Halloween was big. Or not that it had that name then. Joseph, you were practicing saying it before. So would you like to tell people what the old word actually is with the silent H? Yes, so it's spelled Samhain or Samhain, but it's actually pronounced Samhain. Um, it's an old Celtic festival, essentially celebrating the dead, celebrating the spirits, uh, and a night where you could really sort of get grips uh, with summoning these spirits and having sort of the, the old French word, the seance, and bringing all mm. these dead people back to life, more or less. In fact, Queen Victoria went to Scotland one year and uh, I mean, she she loves Scotland, particularly after her, uh, her uh, regent guy died. Uh, but she went to Scotland and after they'd marched around the castle, they threw their burning torches into a big heap. And hence our modern tradition of having big bonfires. But bonfires actually go back an awful long way. And as I was talking to my dad over the years and the, the look at his atheism and what it had done to essentially Presbyterian Scotland, you always get back to the roots of this whole Halloween, which is essentially pagan. I mean, I get myself into trouble when I go to America when I actually tell them the whole story because to them it's sort of butternut cookies and, and candies and things like that and a big commercial um, situation. In fact, yeah. Diane, just one simple question. Australia traditionally has not celebrated Halloween, but who's pushing it out here at the moment? Well, it's basically just crass commercialism at, at the, uh, the the most blunt way to put it um yeah. when i was growing up it was completely unheard of we occasionally saw references to it on american tv and we thought it was a rather strange thing that americans 
did once a year when they got dressed up and it was a chance for children to to get sweets um and, and, but really it, uh, it had nothing in our in our culture um right, so, so but it, in the last 10 years it's it's become very very highly commercialized yeah so you can actually go and buy your orange colored balloons and your orange colored uniforms and all of that but that's not the origin of it that's the consequence no. commercialism mm. is driving this here in australia and when i looked up the internet it said traditionally this has never been celebrated in australia absolutely correct i'm an aussie yeah. as well as a scots roots die and is aussie as well we never saw it but now it's coming here and obviously the other side of it is starting to show ghosts dead uh mm. dragons evil all of those things are starting to show up through the commercialism so what's the real history um now we did a series and joseph you might want to put our website up so that folks can actually access you can get streaming versions of our origin of races series the history of man origin of races real roots because when i was in scotland filming one year um looking a bit further than the standard sort of queen victoria or the traditional roman version of what the druids were doing um you found some interesting and tragic history all right here it is you find that we would sacrifice our children on the last day of october the rule was we needed to sacrifice at least a third of our children to the spirits why because we wanted good crops next year now of course most of us liked our own children so therefore we were free to take other people's children we could buy them we could steal them right so therefore all of this sort of well the stuff you'd sort of go to jail for today was a normal part of our culture in a desperate effort to please the spirits and of course these kids ended up dead whether they were yours stolen whether they were bought from the poor people who needed the money the kids ended up dead so death and sacrifice of course follow that down by a thousand years or so and you'll find that one of the things that sort of put a stop to this all through the British Isles is the missionaries who are brave enough to do two things. No, they were no respecters of person. No, they didn't want to indoctrinate our people with the culture. They wanted to, well, they chopped down the sacred trees. Their rule was don't spend your time worshipping the trees. This is offensive to God who created the trees. You spend your time worshipping God and don't sort of sacrifice your children because God has sacrificed his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need to sacrifice this anymore. And so the traditional history has actually sort of gotten lost with most people. But you can actually see this on the origin of races, real roots, history of man, that its real origin is abject paganism, abject demonism, abject fear of evil spirits by a country which actually had lost track of the real God. Uh, you do realize, of course, that cannibalism and all these things is actually a real part of anybody's history once you abandon God. Uh, once you abandon God, there's no rules left. In fact, I'll read a passage from Scripture which is horrifying, actually. It's about the king of Moab. It's out of the same book, Second uh, Kings chapter 3, that we referred to with our dam, how powerful God is. But yet the king of Moab was now surrounded by these guys who got their water uh, 10 verses earlier. Their animals were refreshed. They went and they surrounded the king of Moab and his allies, and they put them to siege. 
Okay, now the king of Moab, he thought he could win this, but he's losing. What does he do in desperation? Same as what my ancestors did. Have a listen to this. Now, then the king took his eldest son, who should have reigned in his stead, and he offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. Okay, now my ancestors, at the start of what we call Halloween, actually it's the day before, uh, you know, the, 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 the night time before, and you'd actually sort of kill your kids. Okay, the king took his eldest son and he offered him as a sacrifice upon the wall. Now, modern, um, I, I would almost call them liberals, say, oh, we got the idea from Abraham sacrificing his son and God provided. Well, I can't find any evidence of that at all, even though, you know who the king of Moab is? He's a descendant of Lot, and Lot was Abraham's nephew. Yeah. Ah, so there is a connection there, and it may be possible to put that thought through, but the king is not offering his son to the real God. He's offering his son to the gods of the Moabites the gods of the valleys, the gods of the hills, the pagan gods. Well, the tragic consequence of that is the Israelites are so horrified that their cousin, because that's what he is, their cousin would actually be driven to such extremities, they actually called the siege off in disgust. Um, I guess the king probably said, see, it works. Um, what you find is interesting is the tragic consequence of that is we have all sorts of paganism justified and it sneaks into the church. So when I was in America, you would find churches running Halloween festivals. Diane, mm. have we had that in Australia? No, Halloween no, that's not a tradition here at all. So. Okay, but you're, you go to an Anglican church, an evangelical Anglican, correct? Yeah. Okay, a Bible-believing Anglican church, and yet they have a Hallow's Eve festival. What What's the difference between the two? Well, that that's... This is the interesting thing. You, you've got this conflation of, um, of church language uh, and paganism, and it relates to the calendar. Now, we have a church calendar in the Anglican church where you remember certain events in the life of Christ or in, in history, uh, and that has its function in that it makes sure that you do actually cover all of the great truths of, of, uh, of the faith and also things like um, the, the great events in Christ's life. But, uh, of course, with uh, if you look at the history of the uh, institutional church, um, uh, particularly in, in Europe where the medieval church uh, was very bureaucratic and set out a sort of calendar of events um, that would happen during the, the church year, and, in fact, that sort of ruled the whole... Um, the, the whole society. Uh, there was a day called All Saints Day, but in old-fashioned language, that was All Hallows Day, where you remembered the saints. Now, it got corrupted in medieval times um, where people actually prayed to saints and worshipped saints. It then got cleaned up in the, in the Reformation, but they kept the calendar as a way of there are certain days where we, we remember people and honour them because they have kept the faith going through the generation so that we might hear the gospel. So we do have a day called All Saints Day, uh, and that is a modern version of an old-fashioned word called All Hallows Day. Now, the day before a particular um, festival or celebration or day of remembrance is called the Eve, of that day, so like Christmas Eve. So the day before All Saints Day is All 
Hallows Eve, or in old-fashioned language, Ian, E apostrophe E-N. So All Hallows Ian became contracted into Halloween, and that just refers to the time of year that, it's, that it happens. Now, All Saints Day these days is the 1st of November, so All Hallows Ian the day before that is the 31st of October. Now, it was actually a pope who... Um, who prescribed that that day All Hallows Ian would end up being the 31st of October. All Saints Day used to be in May. Pope Gregory sometime back in the 8th century moved it to uh, the 1st of November. Now, in those days, popes liked to put Christian celebrations in, um, in competition with the pagan ones. <laughs> and uh, so we have All Saints Day on the 1st of November. And All Hallows Ian, or all the Eve of All Saints Day, is the 31st of October. Diane, can I interrupt you here at a moment? Because uh, Halloween is actually a Scottish word. Uh, we're, we're the ones mm. who sort of shortened it, abbreviated it. And we probably yes. had almost no knowledge of the Pope's purpose of, of putting the dates side by side. Joseph, you and I were talking about that at the start. What's your knowledge of that? You're living on East Coast. Well, you're not on the East Coast of England anymore, but you've got a background in both Celtic history. I mean, you can tell us a bit about Hubbards and all of that if you like. But what what what's what what's motivating popes to put these holidays beside pagan holidays? Okay, well, what I can remember, if you remember back to we we dealt with it a little bit, or the uh, sort of the concept of it a little bit in the when should a Christian disobey the government, in the sense that we talked about the history of the church briefly in the UK, although I think that's something we should really expand on in, in, in future creation conversations. But from what I can find, just like John was saying, when the first Christians reached the United Kingdom, or Britannia as it was known back then, bearing in mind that Christianity as a belief was certainly within uh, the UK within about sort of 30 to 40 years of Christ's death. Um, there's a great document that you can get by the late Bill Cooper, who did some fantastic research to actually show this. But Christianity as a whole first kind of came in um, during the, the sort of the end of the Roman Empire and then stayed on through the Celts. Now, this was all sort of pre-major Catholic, Roman Catholic, Right, you sort of the first Christianity, even though it would have been considered Catholic at the time. Remember that Catholic is just a name for universal. Uh, it's a, a universal church. It's the one church of Christ. This is before you had all the politics that came into it. That was really after the Council of Nicaea and you had all the corruption. And that's where the branches really began to split from the church and then into the Orthodox and the Catholic and so on and so forth. Right. That's in a nutshell. Right? I don't. Um, you know, there's a lot more complicated than that. But the point is, the first Christians and the Christian missionaries particularly, and we've got a whole program on people like St. Patrick, who uh, went into the Celtic island, uh, had been taken as a, as a slave to Ireland, had been taken as a slave into Celtic Ireland, which was also heavily Viking influenced, right? Now, the Vikings were pagans, uh, pagans as well. In fact, the Vikings were basically just Celts who had become a bit more sort of further down the line and hadn't been influenced by the might of rhyme 
I mean, that's all really the Anglo-Saxons and the Jutes and so on and so forth were. They were just more developed Celts, right? They hadn't been influenced as much by the Roman Empire. And so what you find is they still have a lot of the festivals and a lot of the sort of corrupt things happening uh, and celebrations and festivals the same as the Celts did. Now, when the first Christians went, from what I can find in my research, they were all for getting rid of this celebration in its entirety. Um, they said, here is the one true God. His name is Jesus. He is the word. He divides the light from the darkness. The darkness cannot comprehend the light that he gives. Therefore, you shall remove yourself from any pagan festivities or activities at all. Um, in fact, we read that, we started with that in 2 Corinthians, didn't we? Right? How can the light and the darkness fit together? How can lawlessness and people who follow Christ fit together? Do not have, I mean, Paul said in, in, elsewhere, you know, uh, you know, flee from evil, only focus on the things which are actually good, right? Flee from witchcraft, not dabble around in it and celebrate it once a year because, oh, it's a fun thing to do. Flee from it. So what I can find is that the first Christians, the original Christian missionaries, uh, were all about getting rid of this celebration in its entirety. But it was around AD 600, from what I can find, when uh, Pope Boniface IV created All Saints Day, and then later on Pope Gregory III uh, moved this holiday to the 1st of November. Now, why would he move it to the 1st of November and put it on the 1st of the November? Well, you can see this in other kinds of influences from the Catholic Church. You will find that at this point, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, I should say, in Europe and particularly in Britannia, was purely a political power. Uh, they would make deals and dealings with the uh, Viking and all the uh, Saxon kings. This is sort of getting on the sort of post-Alfred kind of time uh, uh, when you had sort of the still the, the good remnants of the church, but you had a lot of these um, uh, yeah, bishops sent over by the Pope, Roman Catholic bishops sent over by the Pope, and they were trying to convince those who hadn't yet converted to Christianity to actually become Christians. Bearing in mind that Christianity had been in the UK for a very long time at this point, or had been in the British Isles mm. for a very long time at this point, and it was what we would consider today a true form of Christianity, right? The kind of stuff that Alfred was promoting, the kind of stuff that St. Patrick was promoting. But the Catholic Church had an agenda, and you can see this agenda later on in the uh, time of the Normans, because you can see where they used the church to actually stamp their authority on the land, by putting massive great big stone churches where the little wooden Saxon ones had been. Right? And what you'll find is that a lot of these uh, Christian festivities that we know today, a lot of these Christian celebrations that Diane was talking about, which is in the traditional Anglican calendar, which of course was taken from the original medieval Catholic calendar, have actually been strategically placed on pagan festivals. The classic one is Christmas. Right, it is a pay was a pagan festival where you brought in the greens and the shrubbery, and I love a Christmas tree and lights. It's great fun, right? But it was a time when they said, right, this is where we're going to now put a Christian festival on. We're going to celebrate Christ at this time of year. Essentially, what they were saying is, you carry on with your festival, you carry on with your festivities and your activities that you would do around the festival. However, we will be 
changing it, if you like, we will be, instead of celebrating something pagan, we'll be celebrating something Christian. And of course, all of the Vikings and the Anglo-Saxons and the people went, yeah, sure, no problem with that at all. In fact, uh, to give you a really visual um, picture of this, I'm not even sure if I, I've got it here. I did have it here around here, but I've got a little Viking artifact. I can't see, see it at the moment. It's a little Viking artifact um, where you actually have a cross, right? It's a cross, and then underneath you have a half moon, a crescent moon. Now, this is a Viking, in a sense, hedging his bet. He wants strong allegiance with the Catholic Church, so he's wearing a cross. However, he doesn't want to upset you know, the gods, in case they're listening, and so he also has a half-crescent lunar moon, which was the symbol of one of the Viking gods. Right? So you'll find this sort of mishmash of paganism and Christianity coming together, because all the Catholic Church was essentially doing is saying, oh, we want money and power and allegiance, you carry on doing what you're doing. So if you have a celebration which has traditionally for hundreds, if not a couple of thousand years, celebrated dead people and celebrated the spirits and celebrated seances and raising people from the dead and communicating with the dead and all of this demonic pagan witchcraft kind of stuff, what are you going to do? You're going to stick a Christian festival on it which says, this is the day that we remember the dead. Very, very admirable thing to do. Remember the saints that have gone before us. Remember the people who have strove to write down the record of Scripture and, uh, you know, further the kingdom of God. But you can see the political agenda behind it because it was originally set and then moved to the 1st of November, which was traditionally the day after or the celebration time of these dead people, of the time when you'll try and summon the dead. So the entire placement of Halloween, All Hallows Day, you can clearly see has a political agenda behind it, really, um, because at the time, the Pope was the head of all the political system in Europe. So it really pays sometimes to uh, know a little bit about history. Joe, can I add a comment there? Um, if you look at how the Romans ruled the world, right, they actually would do exactly the same technology, exactly the same politics. They would move to an area, they would actually find out what the locals thought were important, and then they would mix and, and, and manage mm. the, the local history and Romanize it. They didn't mind if you kept your own gods, provided you were Roman citizens. Now, this technology, this, this modus operandi simply was taken over by the Roman Catholic Church because having been to one of the many Catholic countries in the Philippines, I was wandering around the island of Mindanao in the jungle. Now, I know not too many people do this, but again, if you want to see um, the, the evidence for yourself, have a look at our DVDs. You can get them on streaming, The Origin of Races, History of Man, Real Roots, because we went worldwide investigating this. And tragically, I came across in the middle of the jungle a, a, a statue, right? A black Madonna. And here is this dear lady coming and praying to it and then making an offering to it. And I thought, what a mixture of paganism and Catholicism, because A, you ask only to Jesus Christ. B, she was praying to a female statue. C, she was actually giving it a food offering, which is ab abjectly pagan, um, you know, like the people in India do give it to the monkey gods, give it to all of that, you will find that the Romans actually used whatever the locals did, keep doing it as long as you are politically 
Roman. And the tragedy is that's how the Catholic Empire, the Roman Catholic Empire was ruled. And Halloween, e.g. shifting it to the day, is one evidence of that. Now, Diane, in the Anglican tradition, of course, um, you're a Bible-believing church, your, your church. Yes. Well, I should know because I knew your pastor for many years. And, and he became a Christian in World War II, didn't he? And uh, yes, yes. Well, he, he became a Christian just before that. Um, he was uh, conscripted. This man is 100 years old, by the way. Uh, he's, and he's still on fire for the gospel. Um, yeah. but, uh, but, but yes, he, um, he was sent out uh, in the Second World War. He joined the army, of course, was sent out uh, east to, and he was in a terrible battle in Burma, which uh, if you're a history buff, you, you would know about. Um, and that's where he was really convicted uh, that his life was not his own. It belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. And after the war, he went back to England, trained uh, to be an Anglican minister and went back out uh, to India where um, he was uh, an Anglican minister in a church and built up that church so that it could be taken over or run by the local Indian people. Uh, and then he came to Australia. So he, uh, and during the time he was uh, in India, he got married to a, a beautiful woman uh, who has now gone to be with the Lord. She came from the West Indies, went out to India as a missionary. They got married. And then later on, they came to Australia. So a practical so, uh, question, would Brother yes. Joe, who I know well, and you yes. sort of skip the skip the little bit. You remember the story about the little New Testament and the bullet and, or in his hat and things like that. But we'll come back to that another day. Would Joe have ever? It's promoted a good story. It's worth telling. Yes. Yeah. Um, sorry. Would Joe have ever promoted the day before uh, All Saints Day? Would he have ever promoted that for people to celebrate Halloween? Oh no, never, never. He no. um, he saw real paganism in, in India. Um, now, that these days, it's quite trendy for the sceptics to think of uh, pagan religions. People lived in blissful harmony with the nature gods and the spirits around them. No, they don't. They, they live in abject fear of evil spirits. And what they're doing with their worshipping, like that lady you saw in, in the Philippines, they have to appease the gods because the gods were uh, sort of nasty, capricious beings. And if you didn't appease them, they would come and do nasty, horrible things to you. So um, not, nothing blissful or harmony about this. It's all fear and, and so genuine fear of evil spirits. Hmm. It shouldn't surprise us that, well, three things to talk about. Halloween is in the press, sometimes associated with kid murders, kidnappings, bad things, not just the candy and wax and pretty uniforms. Mm. There's always a reference to, oh, this kid was murdered. Okay, now, Joseph and I, we spent time in Alice Springs when we were allowed to travel. Remember that world, Joseph? You're old enough to remember when we were allowed to travel all around the planet. And uh, I, I was sharing the gospel, and I happened to mention about, mention about the Indian religion because our subject is demons, and this goes way beyond just Halloween. And I mentioned that if you walk past an Indian temple, you can sense if you're alive in Christ, made a new creature in Christ, and you stand for the light, you can not only sense the darkness intellectually, but you can actually feel it. It's the actual presence of demons. The demons are real. Even though you're celebrating just cookies and that, 
on Halloween, there are real demons who love being honored and the demons are real. And afterwards we had to remember that Indian man who came up to me and he said, how do you know about demons? I said, because I've been to India and you can actually sense them and they are just darkness, but not just darkness as in the absence of light, but darkness as in a spiritual sense. There's a darkness there that wants to consume you. Now, Joseph, the thing that you and I have talked about here is that some Christians particularly say, let's bring them to churches and let's give them a Halloween Christian festival. Now, sure. in reality, they're inviting darkness into where there is yeah. light and it demonstrates the real ignorance of the spiritual world. So what, what, what were we chatting about before this show that needs to be talked about as well? Well, I think it's something that um, I just want to say, before, you know, before on this whole topic of Christians uh, getting involved, in these kind of festivals, because another thing we hear quite often is the whole thing of well, Christians shouldn't celebrate Christmas, for instance, because of the same connection. Right. It's important to remember that Christmas itself as a celebration, uh, as a festival, is completely 100 percent a Christian festival it is a time to remember christ and his birth it's a christian uh, festival it's a christian remembrance but there's certainly no denying that it was strategically positioned by the catholic church at a time of year when you have uh you know um all of these pagan festivities going on where you can see connections to what has become corrupted particularly with the victorians into what we now currently know as christmas right so you'll find that these while these are certainly christian festivities they've been strategically placed in order to create a means of power now you could then say okay well let's deal with halloween because you've got something completely different going on here uh, you've got all you know the actual halloween or the the actual saints day and the remembering of the saints that is a, a it's a good thing to do it's a, it's an admirable thing to do um it's something which is is often done i uh, too will occasionally you know we will, will occasionally go to um all saints church which is in the village and they follow quite strictly the um the, the Christian calendar, right? And uh, they will certainly be doing on Sunday the, the All Saints Day. They will be celebrating that time of year. Now, there's something different between Christians celebrating, for instance, Christmas or Christians celebrating All Saints Day to actually Christians then turning to what is in essence the original pagan festival and allowing this demonic stuff to kind of come into your life. Um, so that's where you've got to be really, really careful. So one of the things, you know, we've dealt with this sort of history kind of stuff, but let's look a little bit more into the demonic and ghost and this kind of spiritual kind of stuff because we've spoken a little bit about it and john i know that you've had far greater dealings with all this kind of stuff stuff before but one of the things that i often see in uh, in christians is that there's either too much one way or the other i mean i've met christians who say that there's absolutely no uh you know almost no if no at all demonic activity today right so there's 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 no influence of demons there's no influence that christ dealt all with that when he died on the cross and so we don't have any influence of demonic activity today and i've also had other christians who blame everything on demonic activity including their own sin so um where is the right balance and, and more importantly how can we use both scripture and also i suppose you could call it our um sort of uh, a spiritual wisdom or um discretion i think is probably a better word where where does the balance lie in this i mean what kind of involvement does satan have on the world today 
okay there's several verses in scripture where it says beware of satan who goes around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you peter says that right and of course the interesting thing about roaring lions is you can hear them ages before you can see them so most sensible people run long before but then there's another one where paul says watch out for angels of light they look good they sound good they'll even do good to trap you into evil and people really can't comprehend that and i'll tell you why one of our helpers for many years was a bible linguist his name was dr alan hall some of you have seen our book walking with jesus through genesis dr alan hall was my hebrew consultant my greek consultant for that book uh, a, a wonderful bible linguist and in reality also a missionary also awarded the order of australia for his contribution to aboriginal languages he could speak 30 31 languages or at least read them well and communicate in many of them and was fluent in at least five or six so a well-qualified guy lectured at the university but alan taught me one thing he said john when i first went to the mission field in the solomon islands he said you'd employ a local person to actually help you with the translation you know say this and he'd say it in his own language then you'd read it back in his language he'd say, oh no 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 you missed out the, the apostrophes or whatever and language could translation is like that and one day as they were walking along the beach he came across someone who was very down and he started to speak to this person and the person said oh mr allen um it's not white man's stuff this is black man's stuff um there's another world that you missionaries don't understand there's real evil beings out there now alan like many western christians have been raised to think jesus had put to death satan jesus had victory over all the demons and the black man said no the demons are very real and they're very here and and he said alan alan told me this just opened my eyes to demonic influence and it is real okay let me give you a principle the more the gospel is preached the more the demons run the less the gospel is preached the more they sneak back into any society and begin to take over so if you look at our western society now if you promote halloween in the absence of the gospel then you find the demons start gaining ground again don't be surprised you're dealing with kids who have no respect for parents because respect for parents is based upon the presence of jesus christ being honored and glorified the presence of the demons is an indication hey there's no power in your gospel because you have a belief in a a jesus but a weak one you don't have a belief in the whole of scripture where it warns you about satan uh, that's the easy bit he's loud he, uh, no, we don't take much notice of that but the one that's an angel of light where he looks good sounds good offers you free medical aid if you get your jabs all this sort of stuff a million dollar lottery yeah watch out for some of these things because they have a hidden sting in the tail so beware of lies and demons and all of that and you and i mostly in the west have been raised in the absence of any knowledge of real demons so joseph what were those two verses you used at the start on light we used uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse uh, 14, I think it was, um, where it talked about the good and the evil, evil and the light and the darkness not being able to fit together. And of course, we also used John chapter 1, uh, verse 6, where, uh, no, sorry, verse uh, 5, where it says the light shines in the darkness. And most importantly, perhaps the darkness cannot actually understand or comprehend the, uh, the light at all. 
Okay, so where you have a society which doesn't want light, you have people suggesting or giving you solutions that are actually full of darkness and what we need. Uh, in fact, I'll share a story about a man who discovered this the hard way. He'd been high up in one of those so-called church groups that promoted the presence of demons in everything. Right? Uh, the warning, beware, the demons are not to blame for you not paying your taxes. Right? They may have whispered in your ears. They're not to blame for you deciding to commit adultery. They may have suggested it to you, but you are the one who must take full responsibility for your actions. Likewise, demons don't cause all sicknesses. They will cause some. But this man had been heavily used in, in, in what he called the healing ministry. Um, now, I'll give you a warning about healing ministries. Do you remember Jesus was a healing ministry? Nine out of 10 of the people he healed never bothered coming back to even say thank you. So it never has a huge response, but it's, it's, it's real. At the same time, it can be fake. So this man came to me one day and he said, John, I've learned a really good lesson. I said, what did you learn, Mike? He said, well, nine out of 10 of the people that we've been healing show no response whatsoever. But then now what the Bible says, that makes sense. But he says, in the end, 10 out of 10 of them, no matter what we've healed them from, will die. He said, the Lord has taught me it's far more important that they receive salvation than they actually get physical healing. He said, some of them needed to be sick to drive them to their need for eternal life uh, before and after death. They needed, he said, well, John, he said, the biggest gift that we are lacking in the present Christian church is discernment. So for those of you who need discernment, even on this issue, should the church run a Halloween camp? No, that's an easy one. But should we sort of have a Halloween item in the choir? No, it requires a lot more discernment. In fact, should we fill the church with orange pumpkins? Because when we never use pumpkins in Scotland, we use turnip, hollow them out and, and put our little candles inside. Uh, pumpkins don't do all that well. Well, in Scotland is a simple no. reason, but the turnips do. Our neeps over there were the original Halloween items. But you don't need to illustrate this in your church. You need discernment. So for those of you who are struggling with some of the things we're saying, you will find that, okay, Christmas really was a pagan festival, even though you can Christianize it, even though you might say, what was it used before Satanism took it over? There's yeah. always those sides of it too. But gift of discernment is something the Bible tells you to ask for and these gifts are freely available from Jesus Christ. Diane, any comment on things like that? Well, actually, your missionary story reminds me of a missionary story that I heard. I actually met a missionary at a creation conference, and in the chat we had where I just asked her, why did you come to this conference on creation? And she said, we were working as missionaries uh, in, in a village in New Guinea, and we lived there, and, the, and we got on well with the people. They liked us and respected us and helped us with our Bible translation. But none of them had become Christians. And then uh, one, uh, one day someone died in the village, and the next morning a young man came over and uh, asked them, why didn't you make any sacrifices to the evil spirits? Because they lived in fear of the evil spirits. And the missionaries said, oh, well, we don't need to be afraid of the evil spirits because Jesus has defeated the evil spirits. So they are real, but Jesus. And this man immediately wanted to know about Jesus. And he uh, thought that, well, well, this is just, you know, an eternal battle and somehow Jesus was a bit bigger and stronger. 
And they finally explain, no, Jesus will always win over the evil spirits because he is the creator. And that just sort of switched on this young man. He then understood who Jesus was, that he was the creator God, and he was the first man in their village to become a Christian. And therefore, these missionaries thought, well, we better go and learn something about creation. And I think that's an important message we need to get across that the evil spirits are, are real and you do need to be in fear of them, not in anxiety type fear, but respect them that they do have real power. But Jesus will always be able to overcome them because he is the creator and the evil spirits are created beings. So, yes, we must take them seriously, but we should always look to Jesus if you are in fear of evil spirits because he is the creator and ultimately he has authority over them. Okay, two things from mm. my experience. One is the scripture that says, beware the doctrines of demons. Mm. Now, that is not addressed to the pagans. That's addressed to the Christians, where the demon comes and says, well, listen, for the church festival, we need more time practicing for the choir. So instead of having your prayer meeting beforehand, we'll scrap the prayer meeting this week. The choir needs to be really good. Now, that's how subtle it gets. So progressively, you abandon the prayer meeting and you, can't, you have the best choir on the planet. It's irrelevant. Your power comes from Jesus Christ. You've been sidetracked by the demons and they were whispering in the ears of the Christians. And the only way you'll recognize them is by having the word of God in your heart because the word of God is, is from the light of the world and it shines into the darkness and the darkness can't comprehend it or put a stop to it or even enclose it, which reminds me of one thing. I often get asked to do kids sessions. I love kids. I'm a big kid myself, right? No apologies for that. But one of the sessions I do is who created the darkness? You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, in reality, um, God just didn't start with a big universe of space with nothing in it except darkness. Both the space and the darkness were created. So whoever created it owns it. The darkness is God's property. So if you are troubled at night, oh, I'm scared of the dark, then the reason is the demons are lying to you. In some cases, if you're not a Christian, the demons will be within you because you are part of Satan's property and you've dabbled in the occult, you've played Ouija boards and all of that. They will use the, the darkness to get you afraid and to get you thinking the only way out of this is to do evil things. Now, you'll find the victory over the darkness comes simply by telling Satan, get out of here, you're trespassing. The darkness is God's property and he is the light of the world. He's the only way he'll get me out of this. Joseph, you got any comments? I was, just looking, I was just, just looking up Mark chapter 5, um, where, of course, we're dealing with Legion, the group of, uh, uh, of demons who were possessing this man. And uh, what you find, two things that I find fascinating about this, because obviously Jesus is dealing with them. The first one is that the demons, you know, they say we are legion for we are many right a large number of these demons enough to certainly fill a herd of pigs right uh, which you find out a little bit later but this large group of demons when confronted with jesus are terrified of him and they say they says he they beg him earnestly that he would not send them out into the country and the demons begged him saying send us to the swine that we may enter them and then here's the really key bit at one and at one and at once jesus gave them permission 
right, you will find that Jesus has the full power over all things, including demons, including Satan and his hordes. I mean, it's reiterated in the book of Job, or it's rather it's in the book of Job, reiterated here in Mark, right? Um, Satan could only do to Job what God allowed him to do what the Lord allowed him to do. And here we have a group of swine who are convinced that Jesus is going to destroy them there and then because they say about, is you know, is this what are you doing to us before your time kind of thing? Um, and they're begging him earnestly, send us into the pigs, don't send us into the country. But even they couldn't put themselves in a group of pigs until Jesus gave them permission to. So I think that's something that, that's really, really key uh, to remember when we're dealing with all of this is that Jesus is the king over everything us as well so make sure you're paying attention to that but also over all the principalities and the powers of darkness um and uh, that's something that is that is really really encouraging particularly if you worry or you struggle over these things because I, again i know many christians who become paranoid about this whole subject you know who think that the the demons i mean scripture tells us that you know satan is out there like a roaring lion seeking who he may, he may devour and some christians take that to mean this is, you know, Satan's literally out there trying to get us at every single turn, forgetting, of course, that Satan can do nothing without permission of God, without permission of Christ, um, who is the one who died to actually save us. Now, something else that I think I'd like to just uh, just mention here, because we've had a number of people uh, bringing up in the chat. I know it's nowhere near. Thank you very much, dear. My wife has got me a cup of tea here. Um, I know it's nowhere near uh, Christmas time yet, and I'm still denying uh, whenever I go into a supermarket and I see mince pies up for sale. But because <laughs> it's nowhere near Christmas as far as I'm concerned. But we have had a, a lot of people asking questions, a lot of people talking about Christmas, about this pagan festival versus Christian festival. And in particular, um, somebody on here is is quoting from a um, a CMI uh, article by uh, Jonathan Safety, who uh, I think we've all, we've all heard of and know of in this in this in this group, saying that there there is no pagan um, connection to Christianity at all. Now I've I'll comment on it first because I've actually read that article. Uh, we did a whole series on Christmas, which is still up on YouTube. We'll be reposting that again this Christmas, so go and check that out. And uh, we did a lot of research into this for this including reading um, uh, Safety's uh, uh, article. The bulk of his article appears to be mostly, and I agree with this part, mostly about showing how the, um, rather than the festival of Christmas, the documentation uh, surrounding Christ's birth was not a pagan idea. Now, to give you a, a background, there are a good number of people who argue that Christ the story of the nativity, the coming of God to earth, stems back to ancient Roman uh, myths and even further back into Babylonian myths, particularly in reference to Bel um, and the whole Babylonian stuff and how uh, they do a very good job at talking about this and showing how this is actually, isn't actually the case. However, one of the things that I, I would take issue with and disagree with is when they say that there is no evidence that the festival of christianity was put in its place on the 25th of december um 
there's no connection between this placement of the festival of Christmas and the pagan stuff that surrounds it. And one of the things that the person in the uh, in the group has brought up is that uh, they say that there was no pagan festivities uh, until after Christmas. Well, what you find is that the first record of Christmas being celebrated as a as a Christian festival, or as a Christ Mass, as a as a as a festival of Christians, as a celebration of Christ, is not until sort of the mid 300 AD. Right. However, you'll find that you had Saturnalia, which was being worshipped. The first major festivals and banquets of this was in the early 200 AD. Now, that's still after Christ and after the kind of, um, uh, you know, church is growing. But it is still quite a far before the first ever record of Christmas. Now, Saturnalia is interesting because you can actually trace who Saturn uh, and who he was and who the celebration was about because it was actually passed on to the Romans from the Greeks. And the Greeks believed that he was actually one of the descendants from Helen. And in fact, if you go back through Helen, you'll find that he has some very strong connections to Noah, to the flood and to the sons of Noah. So there's an interesting linguistic slash uh, genealogical... Uh, uh, By the way, Joseph, just can I interrupt you there? Because to us, Helen is a female name, but in ancient Greece, Helen is the founder of the Hellenese, and Helen is is a male, right? Just a little bit of grammar there that might help you. So keep going, Joe. It has two L's in it, H-E-L-L-E-N, and so the Greeks Um, are the Hellenes, and a Greek club is a Hellenic club. Yeah, you've probably heard of that context. Okay, now the the real big thing is the, of course, we're talking about Celts, right? Now the Celts predate the Romans. We're talking about the Celtic festivities around it. And what you'll find is that the uh, Catholic Church did not really have much issue with Roman festivities in Britannia when they were trying to turn the country Catholic. Because you've got to bear in mind that Christianity was already over here. Uh, Christianity was already very, very strong um, in amongst a lot of the native Celtic tribes. What the Catholic kind of missionaries were doing were trying to convert them to Roman Catholicism. And you can see the very physical nature of this by the massive churches which were being stamped into place at the time, right? This is a political, uh, a hub of political power. And the conflict that they were having were the Celts, specifically the Druids, who had not completely been wiped out by the Romans. And John, we were talking, it was really interesting about how the Romans seemed almost challenged by the power that the Druids had, which is why they were so desperate to wipe them out. But the Druid power stayed on and they were promoting these Celtic festivals, including in particular Alban Arthur. Now, the first ever reference to Alban Arthur, what we would recall a historical reference, was actually by... um, Pilney, the uh, the sort of the the Admiral Pilney, uh, who recorded it in AD twenty four. Now this is way 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 before you have any kind of Christianity uh, sort of spreading into um, the Britannia or the British Isles, and way before you have any kind of version of a Christmas celebration. Now this is a pagan festival which was again set around this time. Its official date, according to Pilney was on the 21st or 21st of December, although it was a very, very long festivity. It carried on for a very, very long time. And you'll also find that it had these sacrifices that we were talking about earlier in terms of sacrificing to the gods, not necessarily human sacrifices, but certainly a way of celebrating the gods and actually performing pagan 
and even demonic celebrations uh, around this time of year <clears throat> into sort of to bring in the new year kind of argument right now this is the first major reference right what we would call a, a written historical reference however and uh, say my wife who's done a lot of research into the celtic side of things will tell you the stories can go way 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 back a lot further now the stories are useful because yes they had things which were you know mythology in them absolutely but it's generally accepted with the celtic myths and legends that when they're talking about everyday life or festivities this is an accurate representation of what was going on at the time uh the myths when you get into the sort of the storytelling where they go to say you know these ridiculously sized giants or trolls or things like that that's obviously clearly myth but when you're talking about what they're having to eat what they're sitting down and what they're preparing for the set festivities so there's no doubt about it that both at the halloween period as well as the christmas period there are pagan festivities which way predate christianity way predate any biblical influence into uh, into the isles of britannia of course you have interesting connections from the flood where you can see where the corruption has kind of come from and where they've turned real recorded history as we find in scripture into something which is now demonic and pagan worshipping but there are definitely these periods in different times of the year where there would be pagan worship going on festivities for pagan worship and you do see the catholic church in many many different ways put in many different places putting christian festivals or deciding that these are going to be christian festivals which are going to be placed slap bang in the middle of a pagan time right now of course december the 25th works quite well because you hit both saturnalia and you hit both the old pagan festivals right it's slap bang in the middle of there it's a christian festival no doubt about it ever since its invention it's been a christian festival and it's been about worshiping christ even though you have the influence of the catholic church uh, kind of corrupting that and there's no doubt about it there was pagan uh, sorry there was political influence there but it's slap bang in the middle of two very long-standing pagan festivals and the most long-standing of those is the celtic festival it's the same with halloween it goes way 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 back beyond anything christian it's a pagan day of the dead and then the catholic church comes along and puts a christian day of the dead now that is a commendable thing to do celebrating the lives of the saints that have gone before us christmas is a christian festival and it is a commendable thing to do say praising uh, and being thankful for the christ who is our creator who came to save us but you need to understand the pagan history before and behind and also the political history surrounding why it was actually put there in the first place um because what you will find is over time paganness can end up getting slipped in now we've dealt with that with halloween uh, and that can certainly happen with christmas as well i mean how much commercialization is it just going on uh with christmas anyway how many people actually understand what the full story of christmas is about and it's a challenge both for halloween and for christmas when your church holds a christmas celebration make sure you give them the full story of who jesus christ is don't just conform to the world and do the you know your presents and father christmas and all this kind of stuff make sure you're actually telling them who jesus christ is he is our creator of all things as well as our savior he's also our sustainer he's the one that holds us all together so when you get the opportunity because many people will be very happy to come to church uh, for christmas day only 
So make sure you give them the gospel, not just the story of how Christ came, but what he actually came for. He came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from the curse, which is death. Where does death come from? Takes you straight back to Genesis. So the whole picture. Go for it, John. Um, the uh, scripture itself, when you look at what it commands or commends, you remember there's really only one thing that comes right at the top. You remember, this is my body, which was broken for you. Remember, this is my blood, which was shed for you. We are never, repeat, never commanded to celebrate the birth of Christ. Hmm, we are absolutely. reminded about the death of Christ yeah. because Luke says, you know, I've gone and I've gathered all the eyewitness accounts. Yeah. Now, there were hundreds of people who, who witnessed his death. There were hundreds and hundreds of people who'd witnessed his resurrection. So that's what Luke concentrates on. Even though we have a couple of chapters on the birth of Christ, there's just Joseph and Mary and the innkeeper maybe and the shepherds and things like that. So you will find we are never commanded or commended to celebrate his birth. So if you want to do that, do it as an option, right? But it's a nice public holiday. I enjoy the public holiday. But as again, I raised in a, in a, a Christian, uh, well, not a Christian society, but a semi-Christian society with an atheistic dad who said, oh, we celebrated the start of the year much more in Scotland than we celebrated Christmas because the start of the year was much more pagan. But the Christmas was also much more Christian but, you know, it wasn't something separate. It was part of their culture way, way, way back thousands of years, even pre-Christian. even pre -Christian. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's something to really bear in mind. Um, a lot of people don't like it when what is pure tradition um, <clears throat> or certainly tradition which has a, a political basing, shall we say, um, gets challenged but ultimately scripture as our guide we need to be going back to scripture to see well what does christ actually tell us to do what does christ actually tell us to keep what does christ actually tell us our life should look like um now it does that mean there's something wrong with celebrating a time of year absolutely not uh, it's a very commendable thing to do in many cases but make sure you understand the whys and wherefores as to how it came to be or certainly the background to it because that's when and we've spoken about this with uh, with 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 halloween as well it's at times like this when you're focused on something which is not actually commanded to us to do when you're focused on something that has not actually got anything to do with what god's uh, necessarily relationship with us has which is where heresy starts to slip in and where churches start to fall you used the example of the choir earlier right with halloween now that's something that churches really really need to be careful about and that's something that you do need enormous discretion with so yeah you know we're certain certainly not and i think you'll agree with me with this john we're certainly not one of the the groups who would go around saying oh get rid of christmas right because it's purely a pagan festival um but understand the history behind it and then especially the political founding of it. Uh, and we've dealt a lot of that with the one should a Christian disobey the government. And that's something really, really useful as well. But it's it's important to kind of understand this this, this background. Um, Joseph, so that's just, yeah. just another thought. Perhaps we should be a little practical now before we throw it up the questions. Sure. On what do we practically do about Halloween? Now, you, you find the trick or treat is coming to Australia. The gift giving, I just had an ad pop up on my uh, screen here. Howdy, stranger. 
get a supernatural 31% off all our plans, right? Now, even the world recognizes they can make money out of the supernatural, but by supernatural, they're not referring to Christ, the creator of all the planet. They're referring to the evil side of Halloween, the fact that the demons are real. So what should a Christian do about it? Now, trick or treat gift giving is actually fairly new. And it's only possible, not in a rural community. I mean, you come to Australia and we've got, what, 24 million people in a country. I mean, my state alone is seven times the size of Great Britain. You're not going to go not door knocking uh, on farms that are 500 kilometres apart. I stayed on one farm and it was 40 miles to the front gate, you know, nearly 100 kilometres to the front gate. Unbelievable. You don't have trick or treat there. So trick-or-treating is only possible with the invention of suburbia, you know, communities where you have 100 people per square kilometre and you can knock on the doors. So if you're in a tightly populated land like England uh, or, Diane, you're in Canberra, uh, what, what should we do if kids come up to the door? It used to be easy because in the early days, the Christians said, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. They just had a symbol a secret code that was widely known to everybody, turn your lights off. And then the kids knew not to come in. There might be a guard dog. There might be spooks there. There could be anything, but turn your lights off and the kids wouldn't come in. And then you go one step further. The kids said, well, we're going to get vengeance on the people with their lights off. So if you left your lights off, you'd have windows smashed. I mean, read the history of it in the USA where it grew up big as a commercial enterprise. But now people are saying, well, put on something special at church and sometimes bring your own pumpkins, carve your face. Oh, no, you're just bringing that stuff into the church. What should we do? Any suggestions, Diane or Joe? Uh, well, I think we should go back to um, what, what that missionary found out about uh, um, Jesus versus the spirits. I think it's important to remind the children in the church, Jesus came to overcome the what the spirits were doing, the evil spirits, what Satan did, and particularly where they try and celebrate Satan. Well, I think we should tell them the real story that Satan brought evil into the earth because not because he tempted uh, the human race, so it's all our fault. But right from the very beginning, Jesus came to conquer what Satan had brought into the world, and he will always win because he is the creator and in the end he did win when he died on the cross and when he rose from the dead so we don't celebrate the dead or we don't fear them that they will come back and haunt us they won't because when people die they go to uh, face the lord and he will judge them and that's the end they're not going to come back and haunt us so we don't need to fear the dead we don't need to fear the spirits. Jesus will always win over the spirits because he is the creator. And I think for the little kids who, are, you know, the young boys who really like gruesome things, point them to that passage in Revelation where it says the devil and all of his demons were thrown into the lake of fire. So don't be on his side. Be on Jesus' side because Jesus is the conqueror. Jesus so is the creator. He will always win. So should we, I mean, the biggest selling cookie or, or sweet in the USA is the Reese's peanut uh, cookie bar, right? Outsells everything else. In fact, it's almost necessary because 
you know, did someone put razor blades in the in the cake that they made because they wanted to get back at you for breaking their window last year? So it's almost by legislation now you have to give them wrapped candies. Should you have a Bible verse on the wrapped candy? What do you think, Joseph? Well, I think um, you know we are we are called to be in the world but not of the world. Now that can be quite difficult sometimes finding where the line is or one side or the other. I think one practical way of doing it is. Um, if you are going to be participating with specific festivities or even trying to use the argument of, oh, you know, uh, we're just doing it for the kids or it's just something fun or something, all of a sudden you're associating yourself with a festivity. But the reality is, in a very built-up area, uh, I mean, I'm we're blessed enough to have grown up and pretty much be living in a very rural area. Plus, I'm in, in England where everybody's terribly polite and if you don't want to be knocked on the door, then I, you, know, you won't, right? Um, whereas in America, and I know it's, it's, a, it's a massive thing, so regardless of what you do or say or put, you're going to end up with people coming up and knocking on your door. Now, how can you be in the world as in a shining light to the world but not be part of the world um well if you have people walking up to your door and knocking on your door i see that as a great event you know evangelistic opportunity so maybe yes give them a sweetie but also a candy you call it but make sure you also give them a got the gospel as well now whether that's talking to them face to face or giving them a tract or giving them something that shows the glory of god make sure you're using this opportunity to the fullest because hey you didn't ask for them to come up and knock on your door but they're here now so you might as well do something about it that would be my thoughts anyway um what were you thinking john okay it reminds me of you know all these telecallers who uh you pick it up and there's an indian voice hello you know uh, uh, is this Mr. McKay? Uh, yes. Uh, and you know, you're going to get 25 minutes of, you know, you should need out new internet or you need something mm -hmm. to, you know, to add on to your sticker liquor, uh, anything like that. And you, 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 you can either slam the phone down or you can say, oh, you've just rung in time. I have? Yes. Uh, in time to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, usually they'll hang up straight away, but <laughs> you need a technique to actually um, get across to these kids would you like some real spiritual power? You know, some inviting concept that will get them away from their, you know, their spooky little outfit or whatever, uh, their, their Spider-Man uniform with, with spiders all over it and demon symbols as well. You need to find a way to actually work with them. I always remember one of my friends who had a really neat way of moving the conversation to the gospel when her friend said, oh, Jesus Christ. She would say, please don't talk about my best friend that way. What? Your best friend yes jesus my best friend and she would move the conversation away from his name being used as a swear word and she didn't condemn them for that but she actually moved them across to the real person rather than just the saying so try and find a technique if it's in america this is more of a problem though it's starting to become a problem in australia because the commercial enterprises are profiting out of satanism there's no doubt about it that's what's happening and it's also worth remembering that while it is clearly a, a satanic activity, uh, it is glorifying in something that is demonic, no doubt about it. The majority of people participating in it do not view it that way. 
uh, or maybe do not realize it in that way. So a lot of these people who are coming up to you are not going to be coming with the mindset of, oh, I'm worshiping Satan. Oh, I'm glorifying demons. So that does give you an opportunity to actually get in there and uh, and to actually give them the gospel, give them some some real power, you know, show them some real power. I always uh, love... Um, I spent uh, quite a bit of time in Australia and I spent quite a bit of time in discussion with Dowell, who's our curator of Jurassic Ark over there. And um, John, you've probably heard the story, so correct me if I'm wrong. But from what I remember, uh, he comes from a, a witchcraft background. He comes from a demonic, satanic background. And I remember that he, he, he I think he said he, he went to church. He was invited into church, went to church with the hope of actually destroying the preacher because he had great power and great stuff with the demons, right? He wanted to destroy the preacher, but he ended up seeing the guy on the stage doing the sermon, doing the preaching, and he recognized that this guy had more power than he had. And he wanted some of that power. He wanted what this person had got. And so he stayed behind to go and find out where he got his power from. Of course, the pastor the preacher there his power was coming from jesus christ so this whole war of the spiritual is a very real thing and paul warns us about that you know we're not fighting against flesh and blood but with uh, you know the principalities and powers of darkness so recognize this is a real war going on but make sure you are actively showing the power of jesus christ in everything that you do because you never know uh, when when that will be when that'll be shown or when that'll need to be shown. Um, I think I got that, 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 that account, right, John is, is, does that well, sound? I'll, I'll, I'll check with Daryl about that and I'll let you know if you got everything yeah. right, but you know, the story is a valid mm. story. Mm. So I think it's probably time we got what about half an hour left um, yeah. to answer the questions from last week and from this week. Yeah, let's dive in. Uh, I'll go all the way back to the beginning. We had a good, good active chat tonight so thank you very much everybody it's been a good session i feel let's run through and have a look and see um here's one that's been mentioned a couple of times but there's uh, in the chat but this is actually um a specific question here so i'll bring this one up this was right back at the beginning uh is there a connection between the flood and halloween okay um you will find all around the world and this is again uh forgive me for bringing up the topic but when we did the Origin of the Races series, it began with a lecture at the university on the history of man. And what was fascinating was the reaction because one person came up to me, he was a professor, and he said, I, I couldn't hear your answers, but I could hear the way you were saying it, and I'm impressed. Why did he say that? <laughs> as soon as I got to the real history of the world, the place erupted in furor. They did not want to hear the real history, and you could sense Satan saying, don't listen, don't listen, don't listen. But he was watching as well as listening. A great opportunity. History of the world, real races, real origins, uh, the origin of races, the history of man, and real roots. And we actually went to the natives, and in many cases, they'd been involved in Satanism. And their on-the-spot reference, now you'll find it a fascinating look at the whole history of the Bible, which begins with the Christ who created, who's very good. It moves in chapter three to a Satan who is designing rebellion against the Lord God for himself and for us. Hey, perhaps that's the time Satan fell. That's another discussion we could have. And then you'll find he moves on and plays a role in history at trying to bring us down at the same time as Christ is working to bring us to salvation. So those three are available streaming 
uh, MP4s and as real uh, hard copy DVDs wherever we've got them left. So, Joseph, in, in giving that commercial, I forgot your question. What was it? Sorry, mate. Is there, is there a connection between the flood and Halloween? Uh, yes. yes. As we travel around the globe, one of the things we discovered is there is a festival that's celebrated called the Festival of the Dead. It's big in Mexico. It comes from a Spanish background. I find it all through the Philippines. And whether the it's culture... It's all for Asia as well, and China yeah, and Eurasia, right. they all right. have similar... Yeah, so the dates are fairly similar in November. And a suggestion has been made, which I've investigated, but I can't prove beyond a shadow of doubt, but it seems to have some substantive support mm -hmm. in that this may represent when all the children and all the adults, anyone who did not believe anyone who did not get on Noah's Ark, they all drowned, right? And this is a memory of that. It's a very dark festival, and the Christians should have nothing to do with it except to use it to preach the gospel of light. So that seems to be a reasonable connection. So I said, historically, I can't find a way to prove it beyond a shadow of doubt, but that suggestion has been there forever and a day. Before we move on to the next question, let me just make a, a point, which is something that even I am still amazed at today. You know, just, just talking with John just a second ago and seeing how all of this branches off. I mean, we're on the topic of Halloween, right? And all of a sudden we're talking about Noah's flood. We're talking about Christ as the creator. There's a whole nother topic we can go off and talk about, you know, with the Satans. And his, you know, the, the connectivity of scripture is just unbelievable and it connects not only to each other but also to every aspect of our life and all down throughout history i mean it's just a it's a it's a living book for sure it's a phenomenal book and of course we all as christians know that and you know if you ask any christian about you know bible being a two-edged sword and all this but it, it, it still blows my mind and i'm sure it does others to see the way that god has woven his salvation the legal dealings of salvation through all of history brought it together in scripture and if you want a really good show of this i'd recommend watching our, our christmas programs that we put out last year they'll go out again uh, we'll probably do a christmas special kind of thing at some point uh, i suspect with creation conversations as a broadcast but uh, in particular the, the things that we put out there i mean we dealt with chronology we dealt with the star we dealt with the wise men and the the the, the prophecy and the connections is just phenomenal. So uh, a wonderful, wonderful thing to look at there. Um, okay, another question that we had a, a little bit earlier on. Didn't Paul in one epistle uh, say that he didn't encourage the religious festivals because they tend to draw people into religion and away from God? Do you well, know what this can you is give us a reference to? for that? Yeah, I... Um, a reference doesn't spring to mind in my mind, but I, I, I think we should probably be able to go and... Well, basically, if up. my memory serves me correctly, he's talking about Jewish festivals. Yeah. The Jewish festivals of the moon and, and things like that. And Paul certainly didn't encourage people to go back under the law, hmm. right? So these hmm. festivals were real. They'd either originated by an instruction to Moses that was taken and perverted by the Jews Till the actual celebration of the moon or any of these things became more important than the god who made the moon right mm -hmm. so these these festivals were there they were definitely religious and paul certainly discouraged our allegiance to the festival he, he encouraged our allegiance to the god who created the moon the god who created the earth not to spring festival right and this is this is a common mistake we all make we go one step short of the truth we celebrate the thing instead of the creator of the thing. 
Yeah, and that goes back to what Paul was saying in uh, in Romans chapter one about worshiping the creature rather than the creator, mm. um, and that's something that you 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 really need to be careful careful about. And it's also something that is becoming increasingly uh, increasingly common um, as we as we move forward. Um, there aren't uh, many other questions that have come in tonight, so please do keep uh, the questions coming in. I'll look back through in a second in case I've, I've missed any. But what I am going to do is just very, very quickly put up a question that was actually asked after our stream last week. And John, I know you forwarded it to me and said we should probably um, do this as a as a question. So let me just uh, let me just pop this in and see if that works. It uh, it doesn't, but never mind. I shall have to just uh, just read it out then. Um, it's the the question is too long to go into the uh, to go into the um, the thing. Anyway, here we go. At the moment, I'm really torn about going to church. I can't wear a mask for medical reasons, but my church is one of the ultra masking terrified ones. I have the right to go without a mask, but I know that there are some people there who will feel scared to be near me. I want to care for the weaker brother, but should their false beliefs about masks be allowed to dictate what I do, especially as wearing a mask makes me extremely breathless? Okay, here's what I'd do. I'd talk to your eldership, talk to your pastor and explain things to them and get a permission from them. Now, you don't own the church. The elders at least have charge over the immediate authority and you would find that would be a proper way because then if brother x comes and get out of here you masculine moron uh you can say sorry the pastor has given me authority to come like this because of a medical problem now right at the end of the situation last week you may remember i threw in that one about the reverse where a non-member of a church was brought along to a ladies bible study group and she had the same problem she had asthma but she was so attacked by the ladies who are very mask friendly, right? That they actually rejected her and she she, she just felt she was so excluded. Uh, and yet she should they should have said, why aren't you wearing a mask? And she didn't even get that chance. So it's become almost a standard of subservient ch uh, government worshiping churches. You, you need to have a re replay of some of the things we did in our issue on when does a Christian obey a government? In most people's minds, the order of authority is God, the government, and then education, and then church. Um, that's how they view it. But in reality, that's not a biblical instruction at all. If they really are Christians, they should be caring about you. But because they don't think that far through, again, I commend, go and talk to the elders and, or phone them up. They may be very pro-mask too. Phone them up and get their exemption. If you're an Australian, you know we do not have a law that says thou hast to wear a mask. We have a lot of local mandates that tell you, you know, you'll get arrested if you don't, but none of those have any legal substance. So I'd encourage you, go through the leadership and see what it is. And if they won't give you permission, then respect their authority, but say, would you mind if I set up my own church of maskless people? Because that, that's the only option they're leaving you. I think that's uh, that's a key thing because I know that, and I won't mention names, John, because I know we've discussed about it before. There, there's been a, a number of people, and I've got one in particular in my head, who've had really, really bad experiences with church um, and their local church. And as a result, they find themselves no longer in church. In other words, no longer in fellowship with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, that is something which 
can be very dangerous. That is something, and I've known individual after individual who's done that, had a bad experience in some way, perhaps, uh, has left church, and as a result, heresy has seeped in. They've got nobody to get instruction from, so they end up getting instruction from the wrong people, and then they end up completely, you know, haywire down the line. And I remember talking to you about it a while back, and one of your challenges was, well, why don't you go start your own church then? If you've had a bad experience or you're not happy with the way that something has been done to the point where you feel it necessary to leave, and I'm not talking over little things, right? We've seen church splits over ridiculous things, right? But if it's something that's serious enough for you to need to leave the church or for the church to split, then go and start your own church. Go and start the church that you feel God is calling you uh, to be in, right? Now you can pass responsibility on and pass responsibility uh, to other people as they come in and God raises up more people to do that. But, you know, that um, <laughs> this it kind of leads on to an another question which came in. Uh, it was actually about uh, it was it was from last week's broadcast, actually, um, which we're going just from one, you know, um controversial topic to another uh but this is a question that was was put up let's see if it'll go in here this time no it's also too long so let's um go back here i'm just going to stick it in to the chat and then hopefully we can bring it up on the screen like this there we go um so this is a question that was asked last week. Now, if you remember last week, it was our final session, session three, on when should a Christian disobey the government, right? And we're bringing in lots and lots of different topics, including a historical look at, uh, at the church. And this was the question. Um, this is very fascinating, which is great. Glad you find it fascinating. I would like to know your position on the Bible or what God says about women preaching or teaching. So... I shall hand over to you and actually all to Diane, because I'm sure you all have a, uh, something to say on this, Diane. Diane, didn't we ask you to do an article on this subject on our Q&A site on women in, yes, the, in the yes. church? Okay. Yes, there and is a question. If you, if you go to our um, Ask John Mackay site, which is our question and answer site, um, the, there is one specifically on that topic. Um, and, but, and you uh, do you did yes, that I article? did it. Yeah. Okay. Now, principle number one, the reason I asked Diane to do it exclusively was that we live in a culture where if I, John Mackay, the creation guy, you know, all know about things fossils and wrote an article on what women can't do in the church, I would immediately be picked on by the <laughs> pro-feminists or whatever. And Diane, I know, knows her Bible well. So, Diane, give us a summary of some of the things that you said and then us blokes will throw in a few comments. Yes. Um, well, a lot of the, um, the the feminist side of things just say that, um, well, this is all down to the um, Apostle Paul, um, who I did hear described by a, a woman on the ABC, which is a bit like the BBC, fairly anti-Christian, as the odious Apostle Paul. Um, and it was all to do with the culture. Uh, in those days, women just stayed out of sight and no one wanted to hear from them. So Paul was just con, um, conforming to that culture. But if you look at what Paul writes in the Gospels, or not in the Gospels, rather in his epistles, uh, he actually refers back to creation and where it says that Adam was created first 
then Eve was created. And that is the, um, the authority structure. Uh, it's to do with the uh, order of creation. So Paul says that women should not have that sort of teaching authority in the church. Now, that doesn't mean they can't teach because in his talk about, in his writings about spiritual gifts and roles in the church, teaching is one of the spiritual gifts. And he doesn't say, but uh, that's only for men. It is for women. Um, it, it is for women. as well. It's for all people. Uh, the, the key uh, concept here is the the uh, idea of authority, who has authority in the church. And it's very clear that authority is uh, a male headship thing uh, in, in the church, which is the household of God. And so you've also got the husband is the head of the wife in the family. Uh, so it's not to do with the culture that Paul lived in. And it's not to do with the culture that Jesus lived in either. Um, a lot of people say, oh, well, Jesus, uh, he didn't appoint any female apostles because that wouldn't have been culturally appropriate. Uh, no, J Jesus was not afraid of the culture there. In fact, he stood up to uh, the uh, Pharisees and the religious teachers where it was necessary. Um, but uh, he didn't appoint any female apostles because these would be the future leaders of the church. These would be the foundation of the church. So it was important that they had his authority. So that's where the link is. It's not the actual process of teaching as in uh, sharing what you know uh, within the church. And remember, church is more than just one ceremony on Sunday. Church is what you do as a Christian community throughout the week. So behind that upfront part of church, there is a whole lot of other activity. Women are certainly to be involved in that, to use the gifts and talents and education that they have to help build up the uh, body of Christ. But well, when it comes to authority, who is the, the person that, you know, the buck stops here? Uh, male headship is thoroughly based in creation. Um, so if you want some more details uh, and a more sort of coherent uh, version of that, go to Ask John Mackay and just look up women preachers or women pastors. And there's a question there about it. Great. And it's really good because I edited it. And uh, <laughs> no, I didn't edit the bits out that were wrong. Uh, Diane really has any of those. But in reality, you will find that there's a very important point Diane raised when Paul is giving instructions, he said, I do not allow the women to preach in authority over the men, right? And he goes on, he says, because Adam was made first and Eve was deceived. Now, we don't like it. It takes you straight back to Genesis. So any church, whether it's Anglican or Baptist or whatever, who does not believe Genesis will struggle with this issue because the issue is even before sin came in, Adam was the head of the house. He would have been the preacher. It's got nothing to do with who's a good speaker or who's not a good speaker. Because I know, to be honest, some women who are far better speakers than some of the best preachers I've ever met. It's got nothing to do with talent. It's got to do with God's created authority order. And remember, on Judgment Day, we will not have to give it account to the head bishop of the Anglican or the Methodist or the guru in charge of the, the Baptist church or whatever. We will have to give account to God 
through Jesus Christ about how we even ran our church. Now, you'll also find that when you look at the structure, you go from one extreme uh, to the other. So at the good end of that extreme, there are many Christian missionaries who are women. So I've got myself into trouble many times because when I'm preaching on this subject, yes, as you know, I can be fairly blunt and straight to the point. And someone put their hand up and said, well, if you're so against women preachers, how come there's so many women missionaries? And I'll be honest, I saw red, but I managed to control myself. And I said, there are many women missionaries because the men are so gutless. They will send their women to do the fighting for them. Uh, that's what our society is like. But the one thing I know, those godly women who stood up and said, we'll go because the men won't remind me of Deborah, you know. If you guys won't lead the army, I will. And the glory will go to woman. And God approved of that. But I, I've also talked to Christian missionaries who are women. And they've told me as soon as a godly man comes, we'll put him in charge. So the whole thing can be biblical. So there is your perspective. It's not that a woman can't teach, but she is never to preach in authority over the church, over the men particularly. So one sad illustration before, Joe, you might want to throw an illustration in. I had one pastor not far from here. He's been in lots of trouble over the years, morally and all sorts of things. But he got up one day and he said, today I'm authorizing my wife to preach uh, to you guys. And uh, because I'm the pastor, I can authorize my wife to have authority over the men. Ah! No, you can't. The pastor is never authorized to make that position. Last week's or last couple of weeks where we spoke about how does authority work, you can only delegate the authority which God gave you, and he never even gives the pastor authority to authorize his wife to preach over the men. She can get up and share a testimony, but she's not to be the preacher over the men. Sorry, all you feminists out there, but even I find that hard. Do you know why? I was raised in a family where dad went to work, bought the money home, gave it to mum, she made all the decisions. And when I became a Christian, the hardest thing for me to be was a man who would take authority. Oh, I didn't want to do that at all. And that's our most Western society. Just as you find the women had immense authority in Greece and in Rome, quite immense authority. And Paul had to deal with that. Joseph, any thoughts? I think, yeah, a couple of points just to, uh, I mean, it's all been, been, been said really, but the first point is it's the key phrase there is, teach in authority over men and over the church right there are uh, commandments for women to teach that men cannot do the teaching of uh, specifically to other women and to the young woman right it says to the young woman go to the older woman go to the uh, people in instruction older women teach the younger women now that's a role which i cannot do as a man and neither can john do as a man uh, and we were talking at some point during the last three sessions about how you know we have to say no if we're asked to come and teach you know women things uh, these are instructions which are given to women to do so teaching in general there are separate roles roles that are given to men roles that are given to women in teaching but the key phrase there is in authority over men and over the church uh, and the point which has been made over and over again uh, by both john and diane is this whole thing of going back to genesis going back to the creation of not only 
marriage, but also love and where the whole decision of love comes from, rather than just the lovey-dovey falling in love feeling, where the decision to actually love comes from, and the reflection that Christ has with his church, and that mirror which we see in marriage. Now, I just happen to have the DVD here. This is the one that John did, The Creation of Love and Marriage. Great program. It helped me in preparation uh, for my own marriage. So I recommend that. we have dvds scattered all over the world but you can all obviously also um uh stream it as well and there's links in the description below and i've put links up in the chat tonight as well where you can actually stream this uh, and see this as well but this is a it's a vital topic it's a controversial one as well but it is it is a vital topic um in today's society and in today's world so um yeah i think that 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 just about covers it all well, I don't think we've had any new questions come in uh, in the last few minutes. Still got a good group of people watching, so thank you very much for that. Uh, I think that covers most of the questions from last week as well that have come in, which which didn't answer. So I, I reckon we should sort of uh, just about uh, uh, call it to a close uh, for this sort of special Halloween special. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Hopefully it's been challenging and it's sort of helped you. You know, and there's there's so much we could have gone from here, so many places we could have branched out from here you know into the fall of satan himself into uh you know the the old babylonian and the sort of mesopotamian myths and that whole uh you know spiritualistic side of that and the pagan side of that and the influence on uh on the europeans and you know we could go and go and go and go um but we just simply wouldn't have the time or the mm. energy to keep to keep doing that so um thank you all very much for those who have listened and are still watching here it's great join us next week uh, as we're going to be in fact i think we're going to be talking about the shall we do the king james bible next week and the sort of bible translations one john are you around next week I'm not sure. I haven't looked at my diary this morning. I only just got back in the office. <laughs> well, I'm working. I've been working on a on a on a on a program, sort of leading up into the new year, to make sure I've got everything done and we'll get all the videos scheduled. But we've got a few different topics we want to talk about. Slavery is one of them. Also, the King James Bible and Bible translations and kind of the the history of that as well. We want to talk about the Sabbath day versus the Sunday, and uh, you know all of that kind of stuff as well, where the idea came from, and whole a whole program on that. Be really good. Um, we've got obviously Christmas is somewhere very far in the distance, which I'm sure will be here very, very quickly, and we'll we'll be doing a special a special Christmas program. So uh, yeah, lots of stuff to look forward to as we move forward. We're working on some guests, some great guests as well. So do stay tuned. Uh, John and Diane, any last words from either of you? Nope. I'll just say goodbye. Very busy week coming up. See you uh, next week. No worries. All right. Well, goodbye. God bless. See you later, everyone. We'll catch you next week.